I want to tell you some cool things that are happening right here, right now. Um, some exciting things about our church. Uh, up until today, we had about 15 small groups or life groups, what we call them here. We had 15 life groups that meet during the week um, between Sunday and Sunday in homes around or restaurants around our community, 15 groups. As of today, we have 15 more of them that are meeting. So we've doubled our small groups. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. Um, we had, over the weekend, we had a couple different events. We had an event that um, was hosted by Manhattan Christian College, where our church was a part of this event. And we had over 40 people, around 40 people, that were plugged in and a part of that event um, here in Manhattan. And it was, it was a great thing. Woman's World is what it is called. And there were several people that were there that, it's not just a number, 40, it's it's lives, people that were there that were changed for the better, challenged to grow in their faith, and they took that stuff home with them and impacting their families. I think that is an awesome number. We also had our students um, at a place called Revive, our junior high and high school students. Any of you there? Yeah, all right. I see some of you out there. Um, they, we had about 30 students there, and this was a uh, a little conference, a little gathering of all the youth groups in Manhattan that came together and had a time together. Crestview had the largest group that was there. I was excited about that. You guys did awesome with that. You bet. And it's not just a number as well, because each one of those students count. God cares about each one of them, and they're taking what they have learned back home to impact their families as well, to be the best they can be. So far, the month of February for Crestview has been the, as far as a month goes, overall, all these Sundays, it's ramping up to be the largest that we've ever had in the history of this church. There is a lot of cool things happening. It's not, again, that's not just a number. It's you saying, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to being here and learning and growing and worshiping. In fact, our very first um, hour, our 8.15, it was our first Sunday for our 8.15 service. There was a young couple that came up after the service and they're getting ready to get baptized. They said, we want to get baptized. So a decision was made this morning. I'm excited about that stuff because it means, it means that your lives are changing. You're growing, you're seeing what you need to do, and you're taking steps to grow closer to God. I want to read you something as well. This is a text I got just last week. Um, text I got just last week, short, nice, and easy. It said, I'm amazed at the change in my heart and mind. God is so amazing, and I'm so fortunate. Thank you for all you've allowed God to do um, through you for me. And it wasn't just to me. It was talking about the church as a whole, what we're doing. Things are happening. I know hearts are changing, growing closer to God. I want to hear more about it. Would you send me, if, if God has done something in you over the last week or so, or if he does something in the next day or so, email us at the church, somebody, let us know what's going on. We want to hear more of your stories because I think that there are some really cool things happening in your hearts and your relationship with God. But that's, that's not it, right? That is part of a mission for us is to grow closer to him, but that's not, that's not our mission, I like the way Rick Warren put this. He posted a question, posed a question to us this way. He said, why, does, why doesn't God take you to heaven the moment you become a believer? Why doesn't God just take you to heaven the moment you become a believer? Have, have you ever thought about that? He says, why does God leave you here on earth? Now, heaven is perfect, and here there are problems and trials, sin and temptation and all kinds of stuff. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, seriously, as a believer, wouldn't it make sense that, I, hey, now I'm a believer, let's just go, let's get this over with, let's, let's move on, because there's a lot of temptation here, and this life is hard. Does he leave us here just so we can grow in our faith, just so we can be better at being a Christian? 
Well, let me unpack it like this. Think about it this way with me. There are two things you cannot do in heaven, all right? Just two things you cannot do in heaven. There's all kinds of things we can do in heaven. We can sing, we can pray, we can fellowship with each other, we can serve God. I think there's going to be a lot of time for rest. We're going to rest in heaven. I think we're going to golf, and the fishing is going to be outrageous in heaven. (laughs) Fishing is going to be awesome, right? I'm there with you. It's going to be great. But there's two things we can't do in heaven. One of them is sin. Okay, when we get to heaven, there is no sin. You can't sin in heaven with God. The other is to tell others about the love of Jesus. So out of those two things, sin or telling others about Jesus, which one do you think we're left here on earth to do? Now, one of them we're really good at, all right? One of them we're pretty darn good at the sin part. We're very creative with that as well. But I believe the reason your heart is still beating the reason he leaves you here is because there's people who don't know about him and we want to take him with us. We can't leave him here. Somebody has to pass it on. Somebody has to tell them. So for the next six weeks, for 40 days, all right, between now and Easter, some of you, some of you have the background, you call this Lent, all right? Don't give up anything on this one. On this, dive in. Do something extra with this, okay? 40 days here. Listen with an open heart and an open mind. And I can promise you that if we do this, if we, if we focus in on what God wants us to do as a group, I think it'll be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done. If you haven't already, I would love for you to grab one of these books. We have some out in the lobby. Um, you can grab one. There's a place in here even for Sunday morning notes. If you want to bring it with you to church, there's a place each week that you can take notes from the sermon. And then take this with, with you with a group. Join a life group. It's on our website. You can find out where all the life groups are, what, when they're meeting. Join one of those and spend every day in the next 40 days in prayer and in scripture and see what God can do. I believe that if we can really rally around this as a theme, as a mission for the next 40 days, it could radically transform this church and you on mission. So what is your mission? Have you ever thought it? Do you have a mission? Do you personally, as a church, do we as individuals, do you, what about as a family? Last week, we had a friend of mine that was here, came and spoke to us, Chad Goucher, pastor from um, Phoenix, Arizona, and he talked about this briefly. He talked about a thing called the StratOps process. It's a strategic planning process that that, um, you can do. It's a group called the Patterson Group. Now, there's many organizations that do this, that do it different ways, and there's other ways you can learn about it. They do it for churches. They do it for organizations. Um, You can do it as an individual. It's a strategic planning process to help you be strategic in your planning. makes sense, right? You grow in this. Now, we did this. My family and I did this, and it wasn't um, from last week. We did this on New Year's Day, right? I'm that guy. I'm that dad that said, all right, family, New Year's Day, guess what? We're going to have a great family time together, great family meeting. We're going to spend the next two hours evaluating and strategically planning our year as a family. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not a professional I'm not a professional on this. I'm not a qualified instructor on how to teach the StratOps process. I just want to tell you what we did. All right, that, that's it. I haven't traveled around teaching others about this. This is what we did, though. I took a picture of it when we were done. We called it the Went Family Dream for 2017. So for 2017, we sat down and we said, what do we want to do? How do we want to be better? What, what do we need to work on? What's our mission as a family? And we walked through this. Now, my daughters, I know both of them, I, probably April as well, but she didn't show it, um, was like, 
you kidding? It's New Year's Day. Seriously? We're going to sit around the table and talk about this? And, and we did. I did. I forced them to do it. So we, we get there. We start doing this. I want to tell you how it played out. Um, so we started to the different categories. There's four, four different categories there. What's right, what's wrong, what's confused, and what's missing. So I'm going to show you these so you can write them down as well. I, we probably did it wrong. Um, I'm sure throughout this process, somebody would have said, uh, no, Devin, you're spending way too much time on this. You need to do this. We probably did it wrong, but we, we did it. So here's where we spent time. We made four different columns, and I said, what's right? What's right about our family? That's something we want to amplify. We want to do more of. And we made a list of all the things that we thought was right, that we like. We like this. We like this about our family. We're doing this right. Let's do more of it. Then we move to the next section, what's wrong. Now, Emma, my 15-year-old, uh, who might not have wanted to do this, when she got to this point and realized she had a platform to tell her parents what was wrong about her family, jumped right. I didn't even get what's wrong out of my mouth before she started making the list of things. What's wrong? What do we need to fix? What are some things that we need to work on as a family? And we had several things in that column. So we don't like this. Something we need to work on. What's confused? That's another column. What do, we, what do we just don't understand? What do we get messed up with? Miscommunication about? What do we need to clarify and say this? We need to define this a little bit better so we understand. And then the last one was what's missing? What do we need to add? What are we missing as a family? What do we need to do and say, no, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to focus in on. This is what we need to concentrate about. What do we need to add? Here's the cool part about this. Even if I did it wrong, um, I pulled it out this last week. I, I pulled this back out and looked at it. And we've already checked some things off. We're only two months in for 2017. There's a couple things. We are. Now, I don't believe we're going to get through all of it because it was a dream and some of it was way too much for us. But we looked at this and we've already checked. We checked some things off that week and said, well, if that's wrong, why don't we, let's just fix it right now. Let's just do it. And so we did. And that's a great thing to see. Some of the things that are missing, we, we made this list, what's missing. And we wrote some of your names down on that list. So we want to do life with some of you more. There are some of you that, that we've missed or that we're missing out on. And as the wince, we want to do more of life with you. And some of you got added to our list. So, church, what, what about you? What, what's your mission? Jesus, before he left, he, he had come to earth, he had died, he had risen from the dead, and he was getting ready to ascend into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he said to us. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, to most of us probably sitting in this room, we're like, to the ends of the earth, that's great, right? For somebody else, it may not be our calling. And I think it does take a special calling. And if you're not called to be a missionary around the world for the rest of your life, um, that's okay. I mean, find the calling for you. But let's jump back a little bit. Judea, Samaria. I, I still love the ends of the earth, and we can impact that. But Judea and Samaria, yeah, maybe I can stretch out a little further. But here's one that jumps out at me. That's Jerusalem. You know where he was when he made this statement? Jerusalem. I think if we, if we interpret this correctly for us, it would say Manhattan. You will be my witnesses in Manhattan. At least, at least go to Jerusalem, guys. Come on, it's right here. At least go there. At least go to Manhattan. 
When you get to heaven, I believe God's going to ask, did you at least go to Manhattan? I gave you one job. Come on, dude. I gave you one job. Can you get, have you looked this up before on the internet? Type this in. Google this um, later today. You had one job. Um, and then go to the images. You're going to find some images like this. this. This is a good one. You had one job. Back to school sale. All knives. I'm not sure that the manager of the store had this in mind when he gave this job to the clerk or whoever, you know, the, the guy that was setting this up. You had one job, dude. Um, set up this display. I didn't mean the knives with the back to school. All right, here's another one. You had one job. <laughs> Have you been to this place before, right? Have you gone to a place like this to understand how to spell school? Um, it, it's a really cool place. You should go. Here's, here's another one. You had one job. I don't know if it'd be easier to move the whole field over, you know, five yards or move the logo five yards, but shouldn't it be in the middle of the field? I know it's a tough one. Here's one more. You had one job. Put his name right here. (laughs) Put his name right here. Right? It should be self-explanatory for us. Peter Drucker, a business consultant, was once asked, what's the most important ingredient to, to a successful business? To a successful business, what's the most important ingredient? He said this, ask yourself two questions every day. Every day, ask yourself two questions. What business are we in and how's business? What business are we in and how's business? It's a recent survey done by a local church here in Manhattan. Grace Baptist Church did this. We were part of this survey as a church. And they just looked at Manhattan, and they took the area code 66502 and 66503. So they didn't stretch out into St. George, Wilmigo area, which is, is part of our area. They didn't go north or um, it, just these two zip codes. And they found that in 2015, so they did the survey last year, but in 2015, that the Manhattan population was 66,236. Then they totaled up the average worship attendance for for evangelical churches in Manhattan. They allowed for some margin for those that didn't respond. We were part of this with them. And they estimated that 9.6% of the population attends attends an evangelical church on a Sunday morning. How's business? Now, you can be cynical with me, and you can argue about the survey and the facts and the numbers, and college students were a part of that survey, and blah, 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 but they count. They're people, too. But even if you could argue with this survey enough to double this number of people, it's still not acceptable. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Jesus is saying, here's our mission. Seek and save the lost. It seems like that needs to be our mission. Seems like it's already been decided for us of what we need to do. And we've got a field right in front of us. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing of every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, I would say that 90%, when he saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into Manhattan. I want to show you this graph. I came across this this week. This is a a graph. It's a historical estimates of world population. The historical estimates of the world population, and we're just going back 2,000 years. Not any further than that. So let's go back to zero, right? Not not before that time, um, A.D. So 2,000 years ago, the population of the earth and what it has done over the last 2,000 years. And if Jesus said that the harvest was plentiful 2,000 years ago, he said that, what do you think he would say today? I think the harvest is ripe, and we either reap it or we lose it. Now, I don't want to be overdramatic with this next illustration, but it has a tendency maybe to be. Um, I, I look at the story of the American church, and it reminds me of another story. It reminds me of a story of a ship that was built about 100 years ago that sank. And you probably know what I'm talking about, the Titanic. It was the largest and most luxurious ship at the time that had ever been built. Three football fields long, 92 feet wide. It carried, could carry up to 3,000 people. Had 16 watertight compartments below. She was deemed unsinkable. I'm pretty sure that that was the account that was given to the Christian church in America about 20, 40, 60 years ago. Seems unsinkable, right? Well, this ship, tragically, only 700 of the 2,200 passengers survived, about one-third. And that is tragic, but you know what the real tragedy is? Is that so many more could have survived. So many more. There were only 20 lifeboats that were lowered down into the water, and only a couple of them were filled to capacity. Several of them were only half full and the majority of them only had a few people in them. When the ship broke apart and it sank, hundreds of people were floating in the water. And only one boat, one of those lifeboats went back to rescue them. The rest of them remained at a distance, comforting one another. Oh, we're grateful to be alive. So glad we made it. And they were close enough to be reaching out to be saving people. There was another ship, maybe you don't know this part of the story, there was another ship within the vicinity of the Titanic that night. There was a ship called the Californian, and it was only 12 miles away, and on board they could see the emergency flares that were set off by the Titanic. But the telegraph officer had retired for the night, and the other crewmen and watchmen were on the deck, they took no action. There was a Senate subcommittee hearing um, a few days after the Titanic disaster, and they concluded this about the Californian in their summary judgment. This was their statement. In our opinion, such conduct, whether arising from indifference or gross carelessness, is most reprehensible. They failed to respond with the dictates of humanity, international usage, and requirements of law, had assisted had assistance been promptly proffered, that ship might have had the proud distinction of rescuing the passengers and crew of the Titanic. What an indictment. Wow. 
Jesus in his life was often called the friend of sinners. It was a title that was given to him. He was the friend of sinners. And we look at that now, looking back on the the story of Jesus and the Bible, the friend of sinners. Wow, what a great title to give to Jesus. That that is so cool. We want to be like that. But that's not how it was intended. When it was given to him at first, it was a title of hostility. They were cutting him down. And it was the Pharisees that were coming around saying this, the, the leaders of the religion. They didn't understand that lost people were his number one priority. And I think it's a problem today in many churches. We, as a church, sometimes forget how important it is and it should be for us. Luke chapter 15, um, it's one of my favorite passages. I, I know sometimes there's some weird ones out there like, that's your favorite passage, really? That's your favorite chapter? If you have a favorite verse, a favorite chapter in the Bible, Luke chapter 15 jumps out at me every single time I think about it or read through it. Luke 15, this is a story of Jesus, and he's confronted by these religious leaders. And he's confronted by them because he's hanging out with sinners. And they say to him, don't you get it? Don't you know that if you hang around with those people, you're going to act like him, right? People are going to associate you with them. Be careful who you hang with. Water seeks its own level, right? You understand this, don't you, man? You should get this. And so they confronted him. Why do you hang out with sinners? And Jesus comes back and he tells them three stories. Three stories about three lost things. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. And he tells a story about a lost boy. And he brings these stories into an understanding that we have to get. Jesus told these three stories, and he was not just defending himself or his own ministry. I believe he was seriously defending the purpose of his church. The stories are for us. So I need you to grab hold of this. If you are involved in any way in the kingdom of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, it's never going to be about you. You have to get this and understand it. This is not about you. The first two stories, it was a story about a shepherd and he left the 99 sheep that he had safe and sound. These sheep were were good, right? He left them alone to go find the one. He said, you guys, you're gonna be fine, sheep. You're gonna be okay. He left his flock and he said, you keep growing. You keep doing this. You're gonna be okay. You do it. But there's one I gotta go get. I can't leave him alone. I can't leave him out there. You've got, there was a lady, she had lost a coin. This was the other story. She had others, she had more coins, but she lost this one. It wasn't this one, it was more important than the others, but it was important. And she turned over her house, swept the whole thing out to find it. And then there's a story about a boy, a son who wandered off. And I get this. Let me listen to this. When Jesus told this story, no, he wasn't telling the story of the prodigal to the prodigal. Do you get this? Do you understand this? He wasn't looking at the prodigal, the one that had wandered away and say, bad, bad, shame on you. You wandered away. You need to get back. You need to get back into this. He was telling this story. Now, I get it. There were tax collectors. There were sinners that were gathered around listening. But he was talking to, in my version, it says, those that were muttering. Those were they were speaking under their breath to him. They didn't understand. And he was telling the story to them. I believe to me, to us, to you as a church, saying this is our mission. This is what we should be concerned about. 
John Ortberg, I like the way he, he wraps this up, kind of gives us a concept of this, this story about the lost son. He says it this way, and you kind of have to watch this and let it sit on you for just a minute. It is actually a fairly hard thing to stop being the prodigal son and not turn into the older brother. Man, that one's been on me all week. It is. It's really hard to be that one that has wandered away, that has made the decision, I'm coming back home, to come back home, to stop being the wanderer, to stop being the prodigal and say, I'm home now, to stop being that without turning into the older brother and saying, oh, those younger brothers that run away, what's wrong with them? So if Luke chapter 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I think I found the saddest scripture as well, the saddest verse in scripture, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse six. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. What an indictment. Several years ago in London, um, they, they had a problem. I've used this before. Maybe some of you remember this story. There was, there was a problem with their transit system. The buses were driving right past all the bus stops. Uh, it was happening. There were people standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come. Here would come the bus, and it would just drive right on by. I was doing this all around town. The buses were just continuing to drive around town. People started to complain, saying, hey, what's going on? We need the bus. We need to ride. What's happening? And they were complaining about that. And the L- London Transit Organization decided to respond by putting out a press release. This press release has become very well known in public relation classes across the, around the world. Um, and this was their statement that they put out about this problem. They said, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> Seriously, right? I mean, we've got to get those buses to the next place because the buses have to be on time, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Luke chapter 15, verse 17. This is the end of the story of the prodigal son. He said, it says this, when he came to his senses... The son realized, it's better at home. It's better at home. My dad, my dad even treats his servants better than most people. It's good. I want to come home to my dad, to my father. I want to come home. When I came to his senses, he came back home. I just can't help but think, I wonder, if people right here in Manhattan, if people want to come home, They don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where their father lives. So when prodigals in Manhattan are ready to come home, do they think of Crestview? Is this a place, is this a place where they say, man, that's where I want to go. And when they do, when they try, are they comfortable? Do they feel welcomed? Is this a place where they can say, thank you. I'm finally home. This is where I need to be. I'm glad you guys were here for me. Think about it this way. Do our kids, 
Do our kids, little junior high, high school, does our youth group, do we have a place where they have such a great experience growing up in this home? Do they have such a great experience with church, with home, with where their father is, that when they do wander, (laughs) mostly will, we've all been there, right? We're going to wander. When they wander away from home, do they love this place enough to say, I want to go back home? We're the city on a hill. We need to be the place where people want to come back to. Paul was writing to Titus. He wrote Titus chapter 2, verse 10. He said it this way, that we should in every way make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Do people want to come and be a part of what we have? All right, I read, came across something new. This was new to me here recently. This is a new creed. It's becoming one of my favorites. I'm going to have to have it framed or something. It's going to be huge. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but this is something that's that's touched my heart. Um, I'm going to try and read it to you. I don't know how. Um, Again, it was written by an Anglican priest. His name was Samuel Shoemaker. He wrote this back in the 1950s. He was one of the guys that helped start the AA organization, the AA group. Um, He was one of those guys. He had a heart for people. He had a heart for people that used to be part of the church, had a relationship with God, and they they just don't anymore. For whatever reason, they just, they wandered away from God and the church, and he had a heart for those people. And he wrote this creed, and... It's become one of, one of my favorites. I wanna, I'm going to hang with me here. It's long, but I want to read it to you. It's called this. He says, I stand at the door um, by Samuel Shoemaker. He says, sorry. He says, I stand by the door and neither go in too far nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use in my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door might be. And they creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I, I stand at the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they haven't found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand at the door. Go in, great saints. Go in all the way. Go way down into the cavernous cellars. Go way up to the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house. This house of God, where God is. Go into the deepest and the hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and the heights of God. And call 
outside to the rest of us of how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I venture in a little further. But my place seems to be closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There's another reason I stand there. Some people get partway in and they become afraid. Unless God and the zeal of his house devour them. For for God is so very great and he asks all of us, And that these people feel a cosmic um, um, claustrophobia. And they want to get out. And they cry, let me out. And the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they are spoiled. For the old life, they have seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. And the people too far inside do not see how near these are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to turn away. So for them too, I stand by the door. And I admire the people who go in all the way, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in, when they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door, or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far from the men as not to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, But more importantly for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I stand by the door and I wait for those who seek it. Because I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door. Guys, for some of you, You've been on the inside. You've, you've opened the door. You've been in. You know what it's like. You understand it. To you, I'm going to give you a challenge. Who do you know that's on the outside? Who do you know that needs to find the door, that's looking for a door to something in this life that they know is more than what they have seen so far? Who do you know that's searching for the door that needs a hand just to get in? You got to help them. You got to help somebody. Join us as a church to provide a place for them to be welcomed in, to feel good about who God is. But there's some of you that might, might be you, you might be the one saying, I'm looking for the door. Then, then we're here. I'm here, and I want to help you find it. If that's you, we're going to sing a song. I'd love to share that with you. If, if it's after service, whatever, I want to tell you how to find the door. If you would, let's, let's stand together and sing.